Today we are in 1 Kings, looking at great prayers of the Bible, and we're going to look at the prayer of Solomon. Solomon is one of the unique characters in the Bible where we get two really good prayers of him. One at the dedication of the temple, and that's the one we are not going to do today. But one at the beginning of his reign where he prays for wisdom. So if you're reading in your Bible and you go through First and Second Samuel, you'll find that those are really a catalog of the ministry of a prophet named Samuel. Obviously because it's named after Samuel. And oh, that Samuel really follows through uh, the, the announcement of the kingship. You get the first king, a guy named Saul. And then you get the second king, who's really kind of the epitome of what an Israel, Israelite king should be. And that is King David. And then King David dies. And he is succeeded by his son Solomon. Now, you need to know a couple things. You need to know that Solomon is not David's oldest son. He's not the one that should actually be king next. In fact, he is a child that David had with Bathsheba. And so there's all kinds of questions surrounding Solomon, except that David loved Solomon. and, And actually, in some ways, God really favored Solomon. So as David was, his death was approaching, he knew he was about to die, he made a few commands to make sure Solomon was made king and not his other son. Okay, he had the, the prophet Nathan on his side. His wife Bathsheba did some work. And so they announced and anointed Samuel or um, Solomon as king first. To do that, they had to get rid of a couple other people. And so Solomon doesn't do it himself, but he sort of oversees, at David's request, the assassination of several people, including his half-brother. Okay, they, they get, they get kind of Godfather-style whacked in the text. Okay, That's how Solomon's reign starts. He, he usurps his brother, and then there's the assassinations. Okay, Then... He gets rid of the priest that's, that's sort of the main priest there. Um, and then he marries one of his first marriages of many marriages for Solomon is to the Pharaoh's daughter. Now, this would have been quite a spectacle in those days. Okay, Remember where Israel comes from. They were slaves in Egypt. And now here's Solomon marrying the Pharaoh's daughter. Now, some people probably saw it as a good thing, like, oh, Look, we are now even with Egypt, right? We're on the same level as Egypt. But other people would have said, why would you marry the Pharaoh's daughter? Why would you marry somebody that that was, right? This is tabloid kind of stuff. Everybody's talking, should Solomon or should not he have married? And this is how a lot of kings did it. They married daughters of important people to kind of form alliances, okay? Um, So we've got Godfather style whacking and now we got sort of Game of Thrones arranged marriages and and alliances here. Remember at this time, too, there's no temple. David has made uh, Jerusalem his capital. He sort of built up Jerusalem, but there's no temple there yet. David brings the tabernacle to the to Jerusalem, but people are still worshiping in all these sort of high places. And the idea of that was if the gods are up. Since that, that's where the sun is, that's where the rain is. When you go to worship God, where should you go? Up, go closer to God. He can hear you better there. That was the idea. And so you worshiped in high places. Okay, so we pick up the story 
in 1 Kings chapter 3, and in this passage today, I'm going to just read a little bit, talk about it, read a little bit, talk about it. 1 Kings 3, 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. So what do we got? We got Solomon likes to go to the high places to, to sacrifice. The Ark of the Covenant is in Jerusalem, but he likes to go to these high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. It's actually, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept until David brought it to Jerusalem. And so he goes to this high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night and asked and said, Ask what I shall give you. So in a dream, God goes to Solomon and says, Hey, ask away. You can have anything. Ask me. Ask me for what you want. What would you ask for? If God came to you and said, Hey, what, what do you want? Name it. What would you ask for? Let's make this not hypothetical. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Turn to somebody near you. And, and talk out loud. What, what, what might you ask? What, what, what might come to your mind? Go. God says, ask anything. What do you think? What would you ask? somebody says a world peace, it's like all the other answers sound bad, right? Okay, what else might you ask for? Health. Health, okay. Wisdom. Wisdom. That's a a wise answer. You're going to see here in a minute. Anybody else? The lottery. The lottery. All right. At least somebody's honest in this church. Okay, like what were the, like, Okay, you're supposed to say peace. Everybody knows that. But what actually came to your mind? That's what I'm really interested in. Like, what was the first thing? You're like, oh my goodness, if I could ask for anything. (laughs) I wonder what Solomon thought at first. I wonder how long Solomon took the answer. You know what I mean? God, give me five, right? Let me just... But here's what Solomon does. He prays to God. Verse six. And Solomon said... You've shown great and steadfast love for your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I'm but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for the multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people? So I don't know what Solomon's first thought was. But he starts... He ends up praying. 
He starts with praise, right? He praises God. He gives God a little history lesson. God knows the history, but uh, Solomon kind of lays it out anyway. Maybe he's sort of thinking this out loud. Like, Lord, you were really good to my dad. My dad was like, great. And, and not that David was perfect, right? Remember, who's Solomon's mom? Bathsheba. Okay, so David's not perfect, and yet, yet Solomon can say, Lord, you were steadfast to my dad the whole time. And Lord, Lord, he says, I, I'm like a child. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to go out or come in. I don't, I don't know. Can you identify at least somewhat with the inadequacy that Solomon feels here? You're like, I don't know that I can do this. Right? If you have kids, you have felt this. From day one, you felt this. Like, I don't think I can handle this. And then became teenagers and you felt it even more, right? You, this inadequacy that he feels... Now, then he, he finally gets, it, it, what, you also got to imagine that it's probably pretty high pressure. Imagine if your dad's King David, okay? Your dad's King David, the great one. The great, you're, you're following in David's footsteps. The expectations are so high. You know how much pressure Solomon probably feels? So what does he ask for? Well, the ESV that I just read translates this as an understanding mind. But if you look at a lot of other translations, it's very wild how the range of translations of this actually go. Some say a receptive heart. Some say an obedient heart. Some say a discerning heart. Isn't that weird? Our verse said mind, but some of the other translations actually say heart. A literal translation here actually means, it, it literally just means a listening heart. Now, you got to understand, in the ancient world, they did not know what a heart did. Right? Most people throughout history had no idea what the organs did. They had no way to study that. In fact, humanity doesn't really start figuring out what organs do until we start building machines. And then once we get machines, we get metaphors for how the body works. Oh, these are parts, and each part has a function, and okay, we go. So when the Bible says heart, they have no idea that that pumping thing is putting blood and oxygen. and They don't know any of that science. In the, in the ancient world, your heart was where you felt and decided. Your heart was where you felt something and then you made decisions. Okay? And so in your thinking, and that's why this is translating so differently, you've got to think when the Bible says heart, it normally means like what we would think of as a combination of your metaphoric heart and your literal mind. It's where you think and you feel. So, so, um, uh, the text says that he asks for a listening heart, a listening mind, obedient and open to what God would say. Why? So that he can discern. This word discern is so important. So important. Okay, because in our life, we are not typically taught to discern. We are taught to decide. And my kids have to write papers all the time where they have to analyze compare and contrast, and then make a logical decision. But in the Bible, that's not what you do. In fact, in the Bible, most people who are really logical and make good decisions are not in God's will. And it's interesting, if you look in the Bible, try this for yourself. Anytime there's a crowd, like we all vote on something, in the Bible, it's always wrong. The crowd's never in the right. The crowd is always in the wrong in the Bible. To discern is not to analyze or to decide. Okay, analysis means to loosen up, 
To decide in the Latin is really to dissect, dissect, decide. But to discern, the word in Latin literally means to separate apart. My friend Graham Standish, who's going to preach here in a couple weeks, has a metaphor for this of panning gold. You know how you used to pan gold? You have to pull some stuff up from extreme or whatever. And what do you do? You shake it. You sift it. And you see what sort of floats to the top. That's what discernment is actually like. It's where I start shaking things up and looking at stuff and trying to see what God's will is. See, as Christians, you're not called to decide or analyze. You're called to discern. And it's a different process. And unfortunately, as Christians, we have never been taught that process for the most part. But that is what, in the Bible, you are supposed to do. And so Solomon says... Lord, give me a heart that will listen to your will so that I can discern what I should do. Everybody see what he's asking for? Open my heart, open my mind to hear where you're leading me so that then I can sift it out and learn to do what you're calling me to do. So how does God respond to this? Verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you have, has been before you and none like you shall ri- arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So Solomon awoke. Behold, it was a dream. Maybe you've, you've done that, right? You wake up and you're like, oh, that was a dream. Praise God, that was a dream. But you get some that are so real, that's what he feels like. Oh, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. He offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, God is pleased by this answer. And I I think actually what God is really doing here is not just giving Solomon whatever he wants. I think God is sort of testing Solomon. He's saying, okay, what kind of king are you going to be? I mean, Godfather whacking, right? All this stuff that's happened already in his his life. I think God is saying to Solomon, what kind of king are you going to be? It's a little test for Solomon. And I guess it gets it at least partway right because it pleased the Lord. He decides to give him a wise and discerning mind. You could insert heart there too, right? Okay, so wisdom. God adds this other word then to this called wisdom. Wisdom is different than knowledge. Knowledge is knowing stuff. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what you know. Okay, how many of you know someone that knows a lot? Right, they watch Jeopardy and they know 90% of the answers. But... Their buttons on their shirt are always off one. And they can't keep a job because they have no logical sense, right? They have lots of knowledge, but no wisdom. Wisdom is applying the knowledge. 
And so God sort of completes the circle, right? We've got a, we've got a listening heart so that I can discern what your will is, so that I can make wise choices based on what your will is. Okay, it's a, it's a great description of how I think as Christians, we're supposed to actually make decisions in our lives. God is so pleased that he actually gives Solomon more. He says, I'm going to give you riches and honor. Probably what deep down some of us would consider asking for to begin with. So God gives him what he asks. But then he also gives him an if statement. Did you catch that? And if you will walk in my ways, if you will keep my statutes, I will will lengthen your life. Kind of a big if. Solomon wakes up, realizes the dream, goes back, sacrifices to God. And, and you've got to know, if you follow the story, Solomon does some great things. He builds the temple, builds up Jerusalem, does build well, sort of establishes Israel. But he also does some things that are not so smart. For all his wisdom, he makes some pretty foolish decisions. We're told later in 1 Kings, he has 700 wives and 300 concubines. Okay? I think he was making some decisions not always with his listening heart, is what I think is going on there. That's not wise. And so the, that if statement, Solomon doesn't always live up to that if. That's what I want you to know. Is that in some areas of his life, he seems to have this discerning listening hearts, but in other areas, he seems to not want to do what God wants him to do. And it becomes sort of his downfall. Okay? And he struggles. And Israel struggles because of it, because Solomon would be the last united king. Israel only has three real kings. I mean, there's a, there's a million Israel kings. But after Solomon, the kingdom divides in half. His sons split the kingdom. And Israel is weakened because of that. And then they end up falling prey to a lot of enemies. So in some ways, Solomon's wise. But in other ways, we've we got to understand if you follow the story along, he doesn't quite live up to the if that goes along with these promises. So what do we do with this passage? First, let's consider God's question. God's question to Solomon is, you know, ask whatever you want. I actually believe in a very abundant and powerful God, which means that God can give you stuff. God can give you stuff. And so I would suggest it's a very good prayer exercise to actually name what you want from God. Like when I asked you what you wanted and what you would ask from God, that thing you didn't want to say out loud to the person next to you, say that to God. Now, he may not give it to you. Okay? He probably won't give it to you. But if you at least start naming that with God, then you give God space to deal with that thing that's in your heart that you want. And so I think that's actually not a bad exercise for a lot of us to test our hearts. Let's consider then Solomon's answer to the question. I wonder what this world would look like if more Christians pursued having a listening heart. I wonder, I wonder if Christians really took this idea of discernment seriously. And they went, to, they went to get married and they said, God, what is your will? They went to get a job and they said, God, what is your will? Went to make decisions as a church and said, God, what is your will? We were wrestling this a little bit yesterday as deacons and elders of the church. Because I, I think we're supposed to be about discerning God's will. The problem is discerning doesn't mean it doesn't always make sense to us. It means I don't care what I want. I don't care what you want. I care what God wants. Sometimes what God wants isn't what I want. 
Have you ever had that experience? God, you clearly want something else here because this is not what I want. What are you going to do in those moments? I look at the world and I don't hear, see a lot of Christians with listening hearts. I don't see a lot of discernment. And I look at a world that is craving wisdom right now. The world that does not know what to do with itself. And we as Christians have not been trained to listen to God's will in the middle of those things. The world needs us, everybody. They need us to have listening hearts, discerning minds. And that is not a lot of times how we are oriented. In fact, a lot of times we think and talk a lot like the world does. And let's consider this if statement of God. See, there's a couple problems if you start actually living the way I'm talking about. You start trying to discern God's will. Number one is, sometimes you're going to find that God's will is not your will. And then you've got to decide what you're going to do in those moments. Okay, because if you know it's God's will and you say no anyway, suddenly you are Jonah and you are willfully going in the opposite direction of what God wants. And that is a very dangerous place to be. Okay, but also, if there are parts of your life like Solomon, where you say, okay, God, I'm going to listen to your will, but not over here. This part of my life, you can't have, Jesus. This is, this is mine. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to discern over here. What I'm telling you is, just like it happened for Solomon, those parts of your heart that will not listen to God start poisoning the rest of your heart. It's like the deafness of this part of your heart spreads like wildfire. And so I know a lot of Christians who tried to be discerning, but, but this one thing that they won't give up, this one area of sin, this one area of doubt, this one area of, of their history that they won't let God into, all of a sudden that starts poisoning everything. So it becomes very hard to hear God's will because this one part of your heart so deaf that it spreads through the rest. The one part of your mind is so shut off that, that you're like, God, don't go in that place. See, so, so for Solomon, he could be as wise as he want. But when it came to his wealth and when it came to his women, he did his own thing. And in some ways, that really poisoned the rest of his ministry. Actually, my grandmother has a great metaphor for people like this. Uh, it's a farming metaphor. She said, it, it, like the life of Solomon would be like a cow that gives you a great bucket of milk and then steps in it. Okay? Okay, you, you, you milk the cow, you get it really done at the end, and then they step in it and it's, the whole thing's ruined. And I, I know Christians who, well-intended Christians that want to start pursuing God's will, but then they have this one area of their life that they just will hold on to so tightly. And I have watched it poison the rest of the well, ruin the rest of the bucket of milk. And it gets hard then to discern God's will because you end up consumed with your own will. So my encouragement to you is to be people of listening hearts of open and obedient minds. And really think about in your life, what am I doing to set up my heart and mind to be open to God's will, to listen to it? How am I then discerning? How am I I trying to figure out what that is? And then how am I trying to live my life in wisdom based on where God is leading me? Because that is a very different kind of thought process that most Christians, I think, have never been trained how to do. I think, actually, there's a whole sermon series here I'm, I'm starting to flesh out this week about discernment. But, but I think it starts with your heart. Can you have a listening heart? And all of it. Every part of your heart and your mind. 
Sometimes, especially that part you don't want to let God in. That's the part you got to give up first. May God give you all listening hearts and minds. Amen.